The Radiant Podcast is a proud member of the Converge Podcast Network. And I want to give a quick shout out to our underwriting ministry partner, First 15. To get deeper into God's Word today, visit first15.org forward slash converge. Now on to today's show. Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have my friend Elizabeth Melendez Fisher Good coming onto the podcast to talk about her latest book, Groomed. Guys, this is such an important conversation, and her story of overcoming is just truly inspiring. Today, she works on behalf of those who are overcoming in their own lives and helps women who have been sex trafficked start a new journey. Guys, her story is incredible. And I really think you'll find this conversation inspiring in the midst of a scary season of our own. And so I'm really excited to have her on. I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. So let's get to it. Hey, Elizabeth. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Great. I am so excited to have you on today. I would love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling the Radiant listeners who you are, what you do, the heart behind your story. (laughs) Well, I am grateful for that. I'm Elizabeth Fisher. Actually, it's Melendez Fisher Good. Many names there. On my book, I have all of the names (laughs) because each one is pretty significant. So I guess I'll my story will speak to that, but I was born, my dad is from Puerto Rico, and my mom is O'Brien Irish, and then I was married, and then through, you know, my own life, I, I ended up divorced, which was a hard thing for me to deal with, and then God gave me a new marriage, so that's the significance of all the names. I get to be Mrs. Good now, the good wife. I love it. I love it. <laughs> redemption. Yep, redemption. Well, I would love for you to start by sharing like your story and how you got to where you are today. You know, I know you're the founder of the Sailor Way Foundation, of Sailor Freedom, and you have a new book, Groomed, but mm-hmm. there's probably a backstory there. So I would love for you to start by <laughs> kind of diving in. Okay. Well, yes. I mean, none of it was something that I was seeking after, that's for sure. You know, because people are always like, well, how did you, can you tell me how you got your book published or how you did this? I'm like, well, that would be God and just sort of falling into things along the way. But um, I, I guess to give it context, I was one of those um, girls that was raised really in a strong, strong, strong church family. So I was very um, grounded in my faith by the time I was, you know, six, seven years old. But I had a lot of tragedy as well. So at the age of seven, and my book really gets into this and deals with a lot of, you know, things that we don't speak about often and um, looks at things um, that we've kept secret or, you know, deep places of wounds and whatnot from our past. But my sister was killed when I was seven, almost seven, and she was accidentally shot and killed by my, my brother. And devastating. So like, that was like the pivot, like what pivots in life, like that just changed everything because she was nine years older. She was my nurturer. She was my everything. And, um, you know, you go to bed with this beautiful protective covering. My, 
my mom is fantastic, but not as emotional, you know, and my sister was my everything. So she was just gone. And my brother was devastated. My parents were dead. So I sort of like lost my family by age seven, you oh know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause you think about everybody doing the best they can to survive after something like that. So I was sort of over there, like forgotten a bit. <laughs> so quite, you know, quite a lot is birthed out of that. You know, there's a chapter in my book called Groom to Endure, like the things that you think are normal and strength really aren't, but you've learned to normalize things. That sort of was the big, big flip in my childhood. And I was raised in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago, and um, always went my summers to Arkansas. My mom's family is from Arkansas. And it was like the most idyllic, beautiful, beautiful getaway summers, like on working farms and you know, watching, you know, baby horses being born and naming them and all the chicks and like all the little things you could imagine are like just perfect for a child. And then after my sister's death, I had a few more years there. Um, and then I had somebody, a family friend that one morning before church actually, um, just came in and molested me quite honestly. And so on, and then on the way to church again, and very odd because it was somebody I knew my whole life. So that also was like, what just happened there, you know, and I didn't tell anybody. And I go in and he walks up to the front and just grabs his guitar and joins the worship team. It's like, wait a minute, you know, and so from that moment on, like went in the bathroom, cried, but I was already so used to being alone and nobody really joining me in my grief with my sister that I just sort of held that one inside, sat down next to my favorite uncle in the world. And as he went to put his arm around me, I was like froze, you know, I'm thinking I can't trust men anymore. And it's so interesting how in a moment everything changes, you know, even our peace and our comfort of what we can allow in our lives and be okay with anymore. And it has nothing to do like my uncle that put it, tried to do that as a perfect person. So it just points to, if we don't deal with stuff, how it affects everything around us. Yeah. So I think just sort of a long intro beginning to then coming back. And um, I think probably that year later, my parents told me they were getting divorced and just reasons behind it. And just, just shattering after shattering, after shattering, after shattering. But yet, I didn't really express it. You know, I, everything was, I was groomed. That's my book, groomed, groomed to like, I got it. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. I got it. I got, obviously I'm going to take care of myself more now and turned into one of those, you know, textbook parentified children, you know, sort of accommodating your parents and taking care of their emotions along the way, just sort of lost a bit of my intimacy with my faith and fell into another situation where I ended up in a frat house at the young age of 14, which I should not have been, um, but was invited after being at a teen dance club. And just, yeah, I almost think that like, once you start, like when we were survivors of sex trafficking, I say, you know, until you really get your healing, it's almost like you have a bumper sticker on your forehead of, I have no value. You can do anything to me. <laughs> I don't know my worth. And, and until we get that healing, it's like we attract more devastation. So like, you know, what I do know now is, you know, when there's a pattern of something happening in someone's life, you know, there's, there's a healing that has to happen because we keep attracting the same stuff till we get healed of it. Um, so I, I ended up getting raped in that frat house and it just rolled and rolled and it just really pretty much, that was probably the breaking point that pretty, you know, there was lots of breaking points along the way, but that just, I went from good girl, like I got it, I, I got it, I got, you know, at first when they said, you know, we want you to write this book, we needed a new, you know, thought leader in this, you know, the Me Too movement and everything going on. And when I finally had time to think about it, I was like, you know, I want my book to be called like God was my pimp because I just kept thinking I was doing the right thing and I would do the right thing and do the right thing and just have these horrible outcomes and just, you know, where was God? And that's a big theme of a lot of our girls as well. Is yeah, where where I was God, imagine. you know? 
Yeah. So I feel like I can really relate to, you know, so I, I was groomed to be the, the spokesperson of Sela for sure, you know, because I, there but for the grace of God go I, because after that last rape, I just lost it and pretty much became that promiscuous blackout drunk, anything goes girl. And I mean, I don't, you know, if it would have been present times, I'm sure I would have ended up someplace or trafficked or whatnot, but I ended up like so far gone. We ended up moving to Florida because my dad moved there. My mom wanted to have me near him. And I was running with the Latin Kings in Miami, just, just went bad. <laughs> so it makes me extremely relatable to the girls we work with today. Yeah, they're absolutely. like, no way. I know. They're like, you don't look like that. I'm like, oh, you won't either, honey. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, you know, all of those pieces, I had such shame. And, and that's really a big piece of the book is about, you know, what are the pieces that we're still carrying that we haven't been able to bring to the light that we still hold in shame. And I think it's so interesting, you know, many things in our life, when they're done to us, we are the ones that hold the shame of it rather than the other person holding the shame. Yeah. So that just sort of created my childhood. I slowly, slowly crawled out of that dark, dark, deep well by the grace of God. You know, there's lots of interventions and things and people along the way and God miracles of me staying alive in my lost years. Um, and then just slowly, you know, coming back to who I was, pieces of who I was, not fully, I wasn't probably fully reconciled. So I was 34 and had another crazy experience that I could share with you later if you want. But I ended up getting married in my 20s and I was married to somebody, you know, sort of similar to the family I was used to. And and then when I did have a really great big epiphany and healing at 34, it just didn't, it caused some stress on on us because he was, he didn't match that and it just didn't work that way. But, um, the biggest piece of it is God was trying to help me to reach a place because I think all of us have a story within us and all of the pieces, the good, the bad, the very ugly, like, I think we're trying to all reach a point of being okay with that being part of our story. I think that's what makes me most relevant. I think that's what makes me most, you know, credible. I think it's what makes me most attractive because most people can't talk about everything. I just, and it rolled off right there, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's just who I am. And everybody that I speak to is like, well, gosh, you know, you're so comfortable with that. I've never told anybody, but the, and it gives everybody else permission. And I think we are living in a world that everyone's longing for permission. And so I ended up in my married life, you know, living in the North shore of Chicago and in ministry, grew up at Willow Creek community church, which more sadness there. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointments, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, everything I believed in. But um, really, I think at that point, I wasn't to where I needed to be of really um, doing things out of the purity of, you know, when you're doing something out of the right heart and the right attention, it shouldn't drain the life out of you. But if you're doing it to fill some needs, perhaps that aren't that are more about you than others. I think at that point, a lot of my healing and my identity, I'd gone back on my master's in clinical psych. I was an area pastor at the church. I mean, I was just sort of like, in all intents and purposes, looked like I had it all figured out, but I still had a lot of things. Like I couldn't speak now, couldn't speak then, like I just spoke to now. None of this stuff would have come up. You know, the abortion that I had when I was 17 and didn't even consciously think about it. So I was 34 going through this crazy healing experience. Um, but just all of those pieces that were, I think the pieces that I hadn't dealt with caused me to be um, judgmental in a sense, you know, because if you're not looking at your own stuff, it's easier to judge yeah, others. Totally. Yeah. So this is wow. Sort of the long explanation of why I moved to Florida, then Florida's how Sayla started. But that's the preparation piece. I think all of that journey and all of that 
when I moved to Florida and I like to tell you how the sale of things started, but that was sort of the foundation that gave me the credibility and the why, and I didn't know it, but it was being knit together over many, 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 many years. Wow. Well, first I would love to ask, like, what was the catalyst towards for change, for healing for you? Like you, you mentioned slowly, but surely climbing your way out of that. Did you have anyone in your life that you felt like you could turn to? Like where, where did you even start? Yeah. Well, I think, you know what, there is such a deeply ingrained, like, you know, one part of the book I mentioned, my sister had died in July, I believe. And we had a cousin, we had a ton of cousins. I'm the youngest of probably 15 cousins. And one of the older ones was getting married the next month and she had her wedding and my sister was supposed to be standing up in it with some of the other cousins and I was the flower girl. And there was, you know, we all went to it and there was just a gap where she was going to stand. They left a space there. And I remember, you know, after the wedding was over, I sort of was by myself in a corner on a chair, just crying. And one of the older cousins like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I just miss Diana. They're like, you're so little. You don't even know her. And I'm like, wow, you know, what does this mean? I Nobody really thinks I have a right to grieve her. You know, it just, it was an afterthought. You know, we were too young. We weren't, we were kept from the funeral. So there was not even that the realm of figuring out that I had to deal with something. And then the, the interesting thing is when I, I had this boyfriend when I was probably eighth grade going into ninth grade that I just poured everything into, just idolized this guy. And that was the summer that I ended up at this frat house at U of I and ended up being raped and then just came back sort of blotto and he ended up breaking up with me because he's like, what is this? And that just devastated me because like the pure old little girl part of me loved him. And then this hardened new part is what he pushed away. I think that was the beginning of me. I just fell apart. I couldn't stop crying. And at that point, it was appropriate because everyone thought, oh, she's crying about a boyfriend. That's not too hard for my family to deal with. <laughs> We're not going to talk about our family stuff, the real pain or any of that. But I cried and I cried and I cried probably for three, four months. Cried, cried, cried. Yeah. And I remember going to stay with one of my older cousins and just at her house and I couldn't get it together. And I finally went to my mom like, I need a therapist. I was 14 or 15, I think. (laughs) I need a therapist. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. And she got me one. It was this great Christian guy. It was super cool. And uh, I didn't have him for long, but at the very beginning, I sort of shared like I shared with you guys. And he's like, wow. And he grabs a Coke bottle and he just starts shaking it up. And he's like, this is you. (laughs) And he said, if I were to open this all at once right now, he said, it would just be all over the place. And he said, that's sort of, you know, what's going on with this, this grieving. He said, so what if we though, just did a little bit at a time and just let that part out and then a little bit of time. So it was really cool. I sort of started the process trying to dig in from the very beginning, but then we shortly, you know, right after that, we moved to Florida. Um, and I didn't get to stay with him for long. And then I never got back into counseling so much later. But I always was an interesting part is the cousin that I stayed with when um, that happened at the frat house. Her dad got into AA um, and he ended up always like on the weekends that I was there with them. He would drag us to AA conferences. My cousin <laughs> and I at like 15, we're like, I have the big book and we're looking at it. We're sitting in at these family conferences. <laughs> so it was me because I was listening, you know, and I think it's the power of story. And that's sort of what AA is built on. I wasn't there for, you know, even though I was doing blackout drinking at the time, I think God uses things and gets us in front of the places we need to get in front of them. That began the journey. You're listening to the Converge Podcast Network, and now a message from a network supporter. 
Do you deal with stress and anxiety throughout your day? Do you find yourself on your phone constantly? I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe that's the first thing you do when you wake up. Well, I've got something for you that's going to be an investment of your time that pays off way better than the scroll. I promise you that. Here's the deal. I'm going to challenge you, and me too, guys, to stop checking social media first thing and instead pop open the Abide app to ease your mind. It's the best way to start the day and something I've personally been implementing in my life. And for a limited time, our listeners will get 25% off a premium subscription when you visit abide.co slash radiant. Abide's meditations start at just two minutes long. They're easy to fit into your schedule and feature topics like overcoming anxiety, managing stress, addiction, recovery, finding forgiveness, and more. Guys, anxiety has been a long time friend of mine, and this year I'm committed to taking tangible steps towards freedom. If you're like me and you want to take tangible steps towards your freedom, get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co slash radiant. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. Support this show and get 25% off by going to abide.co slash radiant. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash Radiant to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. That was the beginning of kind of walking towards healing. What, what changed for you to say, I want to start an organization that works with women who are children who have been trafficked? I mean, there has, there's, I there's want to know what gap, happened yeah. in there. How did you go from there to there? Well, I I never wanted to start an organization that works with women that have been trafficked. That was definitely not like something I set out to do. So I think that's an interesting thing for people to remember or to pay attention to because sometimes things find us. What I was passionate about, I went back after I was married in the North Shore, Chicago. I ended up getting going back for my master's in clinical psychology because I'd worked in advertising. And I knew after I had children, I would never really go back to that. It was too fast, too too much. And so I got my master's in clinical psych two years later. You know, like if, you know that when you ask yourself, like, if I'm 90-some years old and my little great-great-granddaughter jumps on my lap and says, what did you want to do when you were little? And you tell her, you know, oh, I wanted to be a therapist or I wanted to be this. And she says, did you do it? You know, that's the question we should always ask ourselves. You know, did you do it? And if not, why? And so that was the questions I was asking when I was, you know, getting my pregnant with my first. Like, what would I want to go back to? What do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to be some sort of a channel and resource to help other people. So I went back to my master's in clinical psych. And then I had children. And I started volunteering. So I was never, I was a volunteer in ministry. I volunteered at church as an area pastor and sort of just, glimpses of healing along the way, being redemption, redemption, redemption. But then what happened was we moved from Chicago to Florida in the goal to slow down. We wanted to get off the hamster wheel. We were sort of overdoing everything that we were doing and wanted to recreate. And one thing that I was fascinated with with any of the work that I did in Chicago was everybody that I worked with, it didn't matter if it was during my practicum um, on the south side of Chicago with a guy, you know, an African-American young man getting out of jail 
and talking about being gang raped. And then, you know, now he's walking in schizophrenia and he just can't get his life together. Or a North Shore mom that can't stop shopping or overeating and she's married to an abusive man, but she's never told anybody about her sexual abuse. Like sexual abuse was such a constant with anybody that I worked with. It was like the greatest keep secret. And so when I moved to Florida a year later, I was, I was down there trying to make sure I didn't do anything that wasn't of God and called for me to do. And, um, and my friends from Chicago called, they're like, we think you're supposed to come up. We think we're supposed to spend a weekend with five of us together. There was a couple of women from around the country, a couple from Chicago that we're supposed to do something important. And we don't know exactly what, but let's get together and spend the weekend. So out of that, that's really how Sayla started was they really wanted to, we, we came up with the idea of just doing women's events for women to really call it like leadership refresh, women that are strong to slow down and take care of themselves. It's going to be these pampering, emotional, spiritual um, retreat weekends where it's more of receiving than, you know, having to take in information. It was more of a processing and a relaxing type thing. And what happened, the catalyst that got me to launch Sailor Freedom was they said, you need to find a philanthropy committee down in Florida because we want to do the first event where you just moved in Sarasota. And they said, don't look for a charity that's overfunded, but what's the real underdog that we could step in and raise money for? And so in 2010, when I moved to Florida and I asked what was happening, I was told our local children are being sold for sex. Oh. And that was what, not even on my radar because, you know, you back in 2010, you think sex trafficking's India or the movie Taken. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm living down in Siesta Key, Longwood Key. <laughs> like, what do you mean your local children are being sold for sex? And then when they started explaining, you know, sex trafficking in America affects over 300,000 American children every year, at least. And um, the root is childhood sexual abuse. And, you know, back then the steps were one out of three little girls, one out of five little boys are keeping a secret of childhood sexual abuse. And oh, my God. I know. And so those secrets manifest, as we know, from my own life, many different pathways, um, because it's never, ever, ever supposed to be how you, you live your childhood. It, it robs your identity in every way. And this leads to confusion and your destiny being, you know, taken hostage. And that was sort of the, the, the why behind it. And I went back to the team and I said, I can't believe this because they said, once a kid is chronically abused, many cases they'll run away. And no matter where you live in America, any zip code, within 48 hours, 80% of our own kids running from what should have been their safety at home will run right into the arms of a predator. They say within 48 hours, 80% of them will be approached by a trafficker. 48 has, hours. 48 hours, our own, our own kids running away will be approached by a trafficker that's so skilled, he knows how to say, hey, baby, I bet you're hungry. I bet your parents didn't know how to love you. I'll take care of you. And they're like, oh, finally. And then he just lures them in. He'll groom them for a couple of weeks. But then after that couple of weeks, literally, they are sold. The stats are 15 to 40 times a day for up to seven years. Oh. And most of our girls, I know, at Sayla will say 20 times a day was their number. And these are just kids like my kids, your kids, anyone's kids. And it was the root, my child, the sexual abuse root. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So we went back and we just wanted to write a check. And there's like, there's no one to write a check to. And I built this committee and two women were on there on another committee. And they're like, we're supposed to give them a home. And then it turns into those are my co-founders. And I was like, oh dear, no, I didn't move here to start an organization. <laughs> <laughs> and now we are the leading provider of domestic um, services to domestic providers of sex trafficking, the national lead. And it's just amazing. It's been uh since when I finally did say yes, it was like championing a tsunami. It hasn't stopped. It's really, 
amazing. So I think it is the heart of God that he does not want to see his children. I mean, it's exponentially, it's the, one of the fastest growing crimes globally. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was just chatting about that with you before. Um, and, and the amount of online offenses is really crazy. Oh yeah. With yeah, being able to, that, to track it. And they say that children, um, any of our kids now, one out of nine will be approached in the safety of their own home, just through their social media. And parents really don't understand. Yeah. So it's, it's such a big issue and such a problem that um, we have to figure out, you know, the, America has to have a, a, an awakening to our own kids, what's happening and how we have to start looking and paying attention. Wow. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for the work you do and for, and for saying yes. I know you never planned to do this, <laughs> but, you know, what has been the journey of and, and the growth of your organization since you started? What has that taken shape? How has it evolved um, to what it looks like today. Yeah. Well, it's been a process. I mean, I, I think we started with, oh, we, we definitely gonna, we, we had a vision though in the beginning, we had a vision that we would have Bela Freedom, which would be the safe houses and all the wraparound services in the, in the locations. And we knew that would be Florida, the Midwest, and then haven't even opened yet. The Southwest is part of the original founding vision, like around the Arizona area. Um, so if there's anyone out there that's like, oh, oh I feel called to this, <laughs> you know, each market gets the money and boom, it goes. But uh, we also had a vision that we'd have a foundation, which would be a, a larger umbrella arm that would be sort of the, the, the safe place of the movement. Like if you give here, it'll go to the vetted providers and it'll help those that want to be exponentially collaboratively doing more together rather than competing. So often people compete. So we've launched that. That's the Sail Away Foundation. And that's more focused on training, getting law enforcement trained, getting healthcare providers trained, the ER networks of around the country and hospitals. They say 86% of hospitals will stitch up a young child that's brought in by a trafficker and not know what they're looking at and give them right back to the trafficker. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the foundation side. Tell me about the heart behind your book. And and even I would love to hear more about your heart behind the title. Was that hard to pick? I mean, grooming is, I mean, in a way, it's always had a negative context in my in my mind. But you obviously chose it for this topic for this reason. And I think it does draw my attention. Tell me more behind with your heart behind choosing even the word groomed as the title of your book. Yeah. Well, you know, like I mentioned, I was like, I want it to be called God was my pimp. And they're like, that's not going to work. <laughs> because I'm like, I listened to all the things and it just didn't work out. I was doing everything I was told. And they're like, oh. and then I'm like, well, how about who's your pimp? Because we've all, all had one, <laughs> you know, like we've all listened to the wrong messages and come into an association. And they're like, no, that's not going to work either. And then we landed on groomed, which is good. You know, it, it, it's sort of, you know, because people were groomed and they had a positive context in being groomed for college or being groomed for Harvard or to take over the family business. But in recent times, it's more of a, you know, we, we use that word into, you know, what's really happening um, in the darker sense. But I think my book is about not, it's like either or, both and more. It's, it's the middle ground that we've all been groomed. And there's messages that we've come into agreement with, you know, not because the people that put them into us were villains, but just that's how we were groomed. We were raised in a way that we were a caretaker to maybe a parent, or maybe we were groomed to be invisible. And that's the role that we played. And I think that the awakening to these areas that we have been groomed gives us the power to use those pieces. I think the very pieces where we were groomed is where our power really is. And if we could really take a look there and dare to challenge that grooming 
and maybe get up a voice around it. You know, it talks about groomed to for appearances, like I exist to make you look good. So many, many, many stories of that. And it weaves my stories, some Sela stories, some other women that have, you know, along the way, Sela volunteers and friends and just it's a book for everybody. I had one man read it and he was like, oh my gosh, every chapter he'd write me his responses. <laughs> He's like, I wish my mom was alive. I can't believe what this is bringing up. So it's sort of a freedom. It's like a key. And I think that key is what we're missing today because there's such a great need for people to get transparent because in your transparency, you're then really empowered to bring healing to others. Oh man. Well, I love that. And I, I love the tagline, overcoming the messages that shaped our past and limit our future. Um, and just really breaking free of that. I, I really love your heart behind this book. Um, I think it, I think it's really special. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to circle back on is why did God let this happen to me? How do you answer yeah. to that? How do you answer that to your girls for yourself? Because I think, I think yeah. that's the number one question anyone who's navigating pain has gone through. Right. I think that that's a big disappointment. Like, oh, if there was a God, why would, I mean, we've had girls whose dads would like rape them and then drag them to sit in the front row of church. And their Ugh. dad was highly regarded in the community and no one, with girls that their dad was the pastor. I mean, all kinds of stories um, that make people mad at God. And what we always say is, you know what, that wasn't God. That was a person hiding behind, you know, God or, or if it was done, there's, there's evil. I mean, we just get into the fact that, you know, there is good and there is bad and there's constantly a fight for evil. And a lot of behavior is learned and most people that abuse or abuse themselves. And it's such a, um, generational thing. And we really, the main thing we do is we lead them into forgiveness because, you know, anger, resentment, all of that, um, bitterness, it, it ruins a person. It steals your future. And so, you know, we sort of walk them into, you know, God didn't do it to you. You know, there was people in your life that through their choice made these horrible, horrible decisions, usually out of their own pain. And then we help them understand, you know, God was crying too. And, and he wants to redeem it. That very place that you were wounded could be your, your most powerful story and platform. Like, look at me, my mess is totally my message. Um, you know, are you going to let it define you as a victim? We do a lot of talking about a victim versus a survivor. And you want to stay in a lot of the world is in this victim mentality. And where is that going to take you? You know, there only goes so far of blaming others and you're just a victim, but rather, hey, this happened to me, but this does not define who I am. This may have been done to me, but it does not define where I'm going. And it's empowering. You sort of show them like, that's just scene one. <laughs> no, time for scene two. Yeah. And, and the richness, like the compassion, the depth of who you are and that God will redeem all of it. But it's so important to go through the pieces of, forgiveness, you know, where are you still holding resentment, bitterness, um, a lot of exercises of helping them like forgive their mom. Often the mom knew and didn't intervene. And so a lot of it is just giving people permission to grieve because that's what we say. God grieved too. You know, this would have been his choice. He grieved with you. Well, I loved what you said earlier in the sense that a lot of people are seeking permission and, and the permission to grieve is really important in the healing mm -hmm. process. Another thing you said that I really, I know has been an important piece in the work I've seen with, with helping people overcome is to, to move from identifying as a victim to a survivor. Um, that's been yeah. A really interesting, crucial piece. And I actually think that's applicable for anyone who's navigated trauma or pain. How do you help people do that? Because I think it is really 
painful to be disempowered and for someone to take something from you and then to experience all the pain, all the shame that really should be the perpetrator's shame, but you know, the victim. I know. It, so reverse. It, it's natural to fall into more of a victim mindset. It's, it's unfair, but how do you help someone shift from victim to survivor? Cause that's a, a pretty painful process. Yeah. Well, you know, we start by saying, what about the fact that you're here? Like, even if someone's listening today, it's like, what is the chances of you tuning in today for this very, if this is something you need to hear or something you're struggling with, like the one in a million chances that a girl in Sailor Freedom is going to get a bed. There's so few beds in this country and be led to a program like ours that really addresses the root. And so it's like a one in a million chance. So what I always say is, you know what, of course you were attacked when you're little, you are so powerful. Look at all of this potential that you have, that you were actually led here out of all of of hundreds of thousands of millions of girls all over the country, all over the world. You were led here. There is such a powerful reason that, of course, if something tried to come against you and keep you quiet, and now you have the beauty of being able to take it all back, and now you're going to come back on steroids, and like there is no accident that you've made your way here, and let's now take advantage of it. So you sort of flip the script and help them understand, like, this may have happened to me, but look how many are never going to end up in a safe home or having the opportunity to have intense. I mean, these girls at 18, 19 are doing more work than women in their 50s. I meet women in their 50s that can't even tell their story. Our girls are so free, so healthy, so clear. Oh. <laughs> you can name it all. This is what happened, but that does not define me because I am actually this. And, you know, it's such a gift. I said, you have this major interruption. What you? There's a huge purpose on your life. This is just the beginning. And so it's really, it's a mental shift. And it is, it's this, we work with um, one of our clinicians is, you know, it helps reset neural pathways because it is the tread marks. If we don't reprogram, we are walking through the same thought life, the same thought patterns, the same defeated spirit. And it is, it's changing and creating new neural pathways of really truly believing and having gratitude. Wow. Well, I mean, I love that y'all are even working with someone, you know, kind of with a clinical psychology background to help people reset. I mean, oh, yeah. I do that kind of therapy, resetting neuropath pathways. Yes. So um, yes. I think that's just really powerful. I love to see healing approached with like equal parts faith and equal parts practical and science because both are so important in someone's healing journey. And so, man, I could just talk to you all day long. I love what you do. <laughs> what would Thank be you. your heart for this message and in, in and the impact of groomed and this book and kind of the work you're doing now, yeah. 10 years from now. Well, with, with groomed and I mean, that's the heart of everything that I'm doing. It's not letting our past hold us back because I don't think we've ever seen the world in more of a shambles, right? There is just so much that is just off and confusion and more than ever, we need people that can really walk with clarity and transparency and authenticity. So I think the book is a tool to get to the root and the core of who you are and to be done with those little pieces of you that maybe you don't have peace around this or there's still a little shame here or you haven't really thought about that. It's like a reconciliation key for freedom, all empowering, all revealed to take your position. I was just in San Francisco speaking at a conference and I'm like, you know, Sela means to rest, to pause, to reflect. And I think if the book, we, we walk you through that in the book, how to take a sailor, because I think we all need to take a step back because we, we, we get so fast and we're just playing these roles. And this is who I am. And maybe we're in our 30s or 40s or 50s. And this is all I've ever been. And this is who I am. But like, pause. What if we all take this pause, dig in. My book walks you through some things that can really be a catalyst to 
breaking through a whole other level. And I think the world is desperately needing each of us to get to that next level because we need to be catalysts and carriers of this freedom. That's it's a mess. So I invite people to just take the journey. You know, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> oh, well, I step in. I love your message. I couldn't agree more on just like really up leveling um, and taking the steps that it takes to get there. Um, it's hard. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's definitely worth it. And so I'm really excited about the work you're doing and to see where this message reaches. Where can everyone find you and how can they get involved with the work you're doing if that speaks to them? Yeah, well, I have a website that is freewithe.com and that's all about my books and different speaking engagements around the country or if they want me to come to their church or to their group and speak. Um, and then Sela Freedom, we have a website and all of it links from the Free With E. That's probably the easiest site. If you go with Free With E and go to Foundations, you can click into Sela Freedom, you can click into Sela Way. And if you are like, you know, there, we always say raise your, raise your voice, raise your hand or raise your resources. We pray that, you know, after you go through, you know, listening or even reading the book that there's something in you that like, wow, I want to get involved here. Maybe it's a financial gift. Maybe it's volunteering. If you're in one of the markets where there's bricks and mortar, you know, with a bill pending in Congress, maybe you could help legislatively. You're like a, a warrior of making sure you get all your legislators involved on a DC level. So there's something for everyone. And I think if they go to my website, they could sort of decide which way they want to go. Many pathways. Well, thank you for providing so many ways to get involved. And man, it has been a joy to have you on, Elizabeth. And we'll definitely have to chat again here on the Radiant Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. Duncan is here to keep you running with a much needed taste of normal to work, home or work from home with the coffee you like just the way you like it. Whether that's a small hot black coffee, your daily 2 p.m. latte, or a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant and a medium iced coffee with oat milk, one sugar, two pumps of caramel, one pump hazelnut, a swirl of French vanilla, and a shot of espresso. I call it my p.m. pep rally. You should really try it. Whatever it is that gets you running, Dunkin's got you and always will. America runs on Dunkin'. As a pro, the last thing you need is to run out of what you need. And time spent waiting on supply runs is money right out of your pocket. The good news is the Home Depot can deliver straight to the job site. That keeps your crews on the job, not the road. And that saves you money, putting time back in your day and savings back where they belong. Delivery options, big, small, right to the job site. Whenever you say, visit homedepot.com delivery. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.